This is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. <coughs> this is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry I didn't have that mic muted when I was sitting here coughing. <laughs> I apologize. Oh, I had a rough morning this morning. For some reason, I've, I woke up at uh, <laughs> the blazingly early time of 4 a.m. And so I've been up for a couple of hours and... But now I'm getting tired. <laughs> so just couldn't woke up, could not go back to sleep. So shortly after this podcast ends, I am going to be in the recliner behind me where I will be napping for a few hours. I've got uh, youth group tonight. <laughs> Boy, you do not need to be sleepy uh, trying to keep up with those young people. So that that's this evening. So pray for me that I'll get through the day. <laughs> uh, I got a lot done yesterday on my sermon for Sunday. Just having a good week. Hope you're having a good week. We're halfway through it today. Uh, excuse me again. Yeah, normally I, I mute that microphone. Before I uh, go live here, and I didn't this morning, so I was coughing right into it. I apologize. All right. What do we got today? Well, first off, this is Squirrel Chatter. I'm kind of discombobulated. Just give me a minute. This is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble. And then the audio podcast is available wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com and check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are certain to find something worth listening to. I guarantee it. All right. Halfway through the week, we are plugging along. Got a fairly uh, important football game here Friday night. It's the Montana Grizzlies take on the Furman Paladins in a rematch of the 2001 National Championship game, which Montana won 14-6, uh, I think. I'd have to look up the score. Um, watched the uh, Furman press conference yesterday. Um and they were talking about coming up to Missoula, and uh, the uh, of course the the coach doesn't remember two thousand one. None of the players they were not there then, and uh, as you can imagine, two thousand one, most of these players were in diapers if they'd even been born yet, um, which is really a scary thought when I think that two thousand one doesn't seem that long ago. <laughs> It doesn't, um, but uh, that game is going to be on Friday, and the uh, the Furman players were talking about, yeah, they thought they could handle the noise. It wasn't going to be that big of a deal. They've played FBS teams in big stadiums, and so they're used to handling noise, et cetera, et cetera. 
So I uh, uh, posted that, that actually Montana Grizzly Stadium, uh, Washington, Montana's Washington Grizzly Stadium is the only FCS stadium that is ranked in the top 50 NCAA loudest football stadiums. All the rest of them are FBS stadiums. So while it only seats 26,000 people, roughly, we've of course had more than that in there, but uh, while it only seats that many, um, it's a loud crowd. And just the the uh, shape of the stadium and the fact that the 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 crowd is right next to the field. There's no track in the stadium, so there's nothing that sets the crowd back. You know, you've got the bench, and then you've got the bleachers. And so the, the crowd is right right on the field. And it's a, a very energetic crowd and a very knowledgeable crowd. We know when to be loud. <laughs> and, and we do manage to be loud. And there have been a lot of players, Maverick, the quarterback from last weekend, said that he's played in big FBS stadiums and he's never heard a crowd as loud as Montana's. So, you know, Furman needs to be aware of that. I think they are aware of it. Their coach had some nice things to say about the fact that, you know, it is one of the great football venues uh, for college football. And so he was looking forward to that. But at the same time, you know, until you experience something, you don't really understand. Which is actually part of my message on Sunday. Um, but that's for Sunday. All right. What do we got going on today? We have our scripture readings. We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. And our study Bible level Bible study. We're in Deuteronomy 19, 14 through 21 today. So that's where we're heading today. Um, I said I'm not going to do a lot of chit-chat today because I am tired. Or I'll end up doing a lot of chit-chat because I'm tired and my mind wanders. Mm. Coffee. I love coffee. This is Montana Coffee Traders Glacier Blend, which I am drinking out of a Montana Grizzlies coffee cup. As the Grizz are in the playoffs, we'll probably use this cup until the national championship, which I am very hopeful the Grizz will be playing in. That would be fun. That would be a good way to cap off the football season with Montana's third national title, Bobby Houck's first national title, which is amazing because he is the winningest coach in Big Sky Conference history, certainly the winningest coach in Montana football history. And he's played in, you know, his teams have played in a couple of national championships, but they've never won it. And so that would be a that would be a good thing. Um, we'd like to see Bobby get a get a national championship. So we can just kind of hope for that. All right. Well, let us begin, as is our practice, with the prayer of confession. 
from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life. To the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. All right, and it is time for our scripture reading. And today we are going to be in Genesis 3 and Psalm 3. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which Yahweh God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, You shall not eat from it, and you shall not touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for, fruit, good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. So she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Then they heard the sound of Yahweh God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh God in the midst of the trees of the garden. Yahweh God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave to me from the fruit and er, from the tree, and I ate. Then Yahweh God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And Yahweh God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than any of the cattle, and more than, any, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. 
And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain and conception. In pain you will bear children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. Then Yahweh God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Then Yahweh God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he send forth his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, Yahweh God sent him out from the garden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out. And at the east of the garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. And now Psalm 3. A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Yahweh, how my adversaries have become many. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. But you, O, you, o Yahweh, are a shield about me. My glory in the one who lifts, his, lifts my head. I was calling to Yahweh with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain, Selah. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for Yahweh sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who all around, me, who all around have set themselves against me. Arise, O Yahweh, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. Your blessing be upon your people. Selah. Now our reading from Daily Readings from the Life of Christ by John MacArthur. Today's devotional is three aspects of the divine will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Matthew 6.10b. God's Word reveals three aspects of His will. First is His will of purpose, His sovereign ultimate plan for the universe. Surely, just as I, God, have intended, so it has happened. And just as I have planned, so it will stand. Isaiah 14.24, see also Ephesians 1, 9-11. It has been within God's purpose to allow sin to affect the world for a time. But that situation will end precisely according to his plan and foreknowledge. Within God's will of purpose is his will of desire. This will is more specific, but not always fulfilled in the present age. For example, Jesus desired his people, the Jews, to be saved. 
However, only a relative few believed in his message. Jesus prayed, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together, and you would not have it. Luke 13.34 Like the Jews, most Gentiles are also unwilling to come to Christ for salvation. John 5.40, see also 1 Timothy 2.4 and 2 Peter 3.9. Third is God's will of command, which is his desire that believers obey him fully, as only they of all people can, with the help of the Spirit. See Romans 6, 16-18. Pride is the great enemy set against all of God's will. But for us to obey his will, we must forsake self-will and prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12, 2. See also Romans 12, 1. Ask yourself, Understanding the many-layered aspects of God's will is not nearly as important as being obedient to every aspect you do know. Don't you long for his purpose, desire, and command to be met with full acceptance in your own life? Submit to him in some new way today. Conform to his will. All right. Now it's time for our study Bible level Bible study. I'm going to go ahead and read. Uh, we're in chapter 19 of Deuteronomy, and I'm going to read verses 14 through 21, and then we'll talk about it. You shall not move your neighbor's boundary mark, which the ancestors have set, in your inheritance which you will inherit in the land that Yahweh your God gives you to possess. A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. At the mouth of two or three witnesses a matter shall be established. If a malicious witness rises up against a man to accuse him of wrongdoing, then both the men who have the dispute shall stand before Yahweh, before the priests and the judges who will be in office in those days. And the judges shall inquire thoroughly and behold... If the witness is a false witness, and he has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him just as he had intended to do to his brother. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you, and the rest will hear and be afraid, and will never again do such an evil thing among you. Thus your eye shall not show pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Remember yesterday we were talking about the, the cities of refuge and the, the avenger of blood, and I said that this is in the context of a, a legal system, which means the, the avenger of blood was a, a, an official officer. And people could only be put to death on the basis of two or three witnesses. Now, the first thing is, verse 14, it kind of seems strange in the middle. We've been talking about the avenger of blood and fleeing to refuges in, in uh, verses 1 through 13 of the chapter. And then verses 15 through 21 are talking about the, the rules for witnesses and, and all of that. Why is verse 14 in the middle? Does it fit in the context? Or is this just a random placement? 
Well, I don't believe in random placements. And as we go through this whole section that, that many, you know, many, uh, Bibles and commentaries tell miscellaneous rules and laws. Um, remember what we're doing here. Moses is taking the, the law of God, which has for 40 years from Mount Sinai to this point only been applied to Israel living together in a camp. And he's taking the law and he's now showing how it applies to living scattered abroad in the land where the whole nation is not going to be together in one spot. They're going to be spread out, which is going to diffuse the population. It's also going to diffuse the, the, the rulership, the, the laws and the, the governance of the land. Um, and, and that's an important point. And, and it's, it's one of those things that, that uh, the American Republic is based on, is the idea that we don't want the people of Chicago deciding how the people of Arizona should live. You know, there's a, there's, the people in Arizona should have their own laws. Not that there aren't national laws, just as in Israel, the, you know, the, the law of Moses. But the governance of each individual area had to be up to the local people. They said they were to choose for themselves, you know, elders and judges in the gates of the cities. So that, you know, it wasn't a command, you know, it, everything wasn't top down from the king in Jerusalem. Of course, this time they don't have a king, but, you know, you get the idea. It wasn't going to be a top down, uh, all, I mean, like I said, there's going to be umbrella laws that, that cover the whole nation, which, you know, we find here in the, in the Pentateuch, you know, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt, you know, all of the big laws that there are things that are against the law everywhere all the time. But each local jurisdiction would also have laws and regulations that only apply to the people there. Because they don't need to apply elsewhere, because elsewhere different conditions reign. So, you know, there there are conditional laws, and then there are unconditional. So there are conditional local laws and unconditional universal laws. And and we so we've seen that. Now, as he the spreads out, he says, you know, you shall not move your neighbor's boundary mark, which the ancestors have set in your inheritance which you will inherit in the land that Yahweh your God gives you to possess. So he's, Moses is reminding them of a couple of things here. He says, the boundaries are going to be set with, you know, throughout time. This is going to be Judah's territory. This is going to be Benjamin's territory. You know, the, 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 the territories are divided by tribe and they were divided by lot. Uh, not the dude, but by, you know, basically rolling dice. Um, and and the idea there is that God controls the outcome of a flipped coin. You know, it's not a chance random process. It's putting it firmly in God's hand to make a decision. 
So casting lots is not, you know, it, it's not a chance random process. There are no chance random processes. What what seems to us to be random is perfectly within the sovereignty of God and under his minute control. So think about that the next time you're, you know, rolling dice to see who gets to pick what TV show to watch next. Or spinning a little spinner to see who gets to cook dinner or however your family does things. Um, know that that's firmly within God's province. Nothing happens by chance. So he says, these boundaries are going to be set. Don't change them. It's fraud to move your neighbor's boundary stone. Because basically what you're doing is you're claiming part of his land. That's theft. you know, And it's theft by deceit. Oh, well, here's the boundary stone. Yeah, well, it used to be 10 feet further over. Or, you know, it used to be on the other side of that well. And that well belonged to your neighbor. And now you're claiming it. So, you know, it, it's a this is a flat-out human nature thing. So what we see here is we've been talking about the difference between murder and manslaughter and fleeing to the city of refuge if you are a, you know, if it's an accidental death. And then we go to theft and fraud. And again, these are legal matters that should be taken care of. But it takes place in the middle of a legal process, what we call due process of law. And so here we see in verse 15, a single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. One witness is not sufficient to establish the facts of a case. And it doesn't matter how much you believe that witness. A single witness might come forth and you believe him. You're fairly certain that he's telling the truth. Yet there's no corroboration. An uncorroborated witness is not the basis for any action against the accused. Now, this means that people might get away with stuff here on earth. They're never going to get away with anything in heaven because God is a witness of everything. Um, the perfect judge is also the perfect witness who has all knowledge and there's nothing hidden from him. And don't think that because somebody seems to get away with something here that they're escaping justice. They are not. Um, the, and, and the fact that God knows everything and God is to judge everything is one of the things that should motivate us to live pure lives. And so, you know, pointing out to someone that God's watching, you know, is not a bad thing. Um, and and so, you know, that, that's something to, to consider. But here are the rules for the court in Israel. A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity 
or any sin which he has committed, at the mouth of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be established. Um, this is why in Matthew 18, Jesus says the same thing. He applies this same rule to church discipline. And he says in that passage, wherever two or three of you are gathered in my name, I'm there in the midst of you. That's not a passage about prayer meetings. That's a passage about church discipline. And what he's saying is that, you know, if you have two or three witnesses who have gathered to accuse somebody, Jesus affirms the... the but we also understand that people are evil. And so in verse 16, what if the witness lies? What about what do we do in cases of perjury? So listen to this. If a malicious witness rises up against a man to accuse him of wrongdoing, then both the men who have the dispute shall stand before Yahweh, before the priests and the judges who will be in office in those days. And the judges shall inquire thoroughly, and behold, if the witness is a false witness, and he has accused his brother falsely. So we have a case where we have a dispute, where someone is accusing someone else of something else, and the investigation takes place, and it turns out that the accusation is false, and it's, it's not a case of mistaken identity. This is a, a case of intentionally a false accusation. And you stand up and accuse somebody of something because you're trying to harm them, even when they didn't do anything. Um, I had a case like that when I was a supervisor uh, at the security department out at the mill. Had a young lady who got in trouble for not doing her job. And her defense was to accuse a co-worker of sexual harassment. Now, there was no sexual harassment. It, it had to be invested. She filed it with the, with the state board of labor, and they investigated it. And I remember when I finally got the report, I, I finally, the, the, the report came to our office, and my boss gave it to me. And um, so we're driving home, and... My, uh, Mrs. Squirrel is reading it to me as we're driving. And I actually had to pull over because I was laughing so hard I couldn't safely operate the motor vehicle. There was a phrase that kept coming up in the report, the report of the, the uh, investigator for the Board of Labor. The human rights, whatever the the commission is that, that investigates sexual harassment claims. And the the and of course by this time the young lady had been terminated because she wasn't doing her job. Um but she had the idea that you know sexual harassment was a magic wand she could wave to get her own way. Um but the phrase that kept coming up in the investigator's report was her actions were not consistent with the actions of a reasonable person who was undergoing sexual harassment. And that phrase kept coming up. 
Finally, in the last part of the investigation, her actions were not consistent with the actions of a reasonable person who wished to maintain her employment. <laughs> that was what I had to pull over. Um, so, you know, malicious witnesses happen for whatever reason. Now, she was upset with the young man she accused because he had rebuffed her romantic advances. Um, matter of fact, he went to a party she invited him to, met one of her best friends, and they began dating. And that really upset her. <laughs> um, but, you know, be that as it may, right? Um, so malicious witnesses do arise up, and they do accuse people falsely for various reasons. If the... Um, judges in the investigation determine that this is a malicious false witness. The punishment meted out to the false witness is the same punishment that goes with the crime the witness accused, falsely accused the other person of. So, for example, if it is a you know, a civil matter involving the moving of boundary stones, etc. You know, where uh, instead of, I don't move the boundary stone, but I claim he did. Because I want it to be moved, and I'd like the courts to do it instead of me doing it illegally myself. So I falsely accuse him of moving the boundary stone. You know, so that's theft by, uh, you know, so... What would the punishment be? The punishment would be a, a financial penalty equal to the value of the land I tried to steal by fraud. If I accuse somebody of, you know, let's say using modern parlance, you know, let's say it's a crime that carries a penalty of, you know, 10 to 20 in the state pen. And I falsely accuse somebody of that crime. My punishment should be 10 to 20 in the state pen. If I accuse somebody of murder or rape or one of the things that has a death penalty, then the punishment for that malicious accusation is death. Now, think about that. That would have a great deal of effect on malicious witnesses um, the the crimes for purgatory purgatory <laughs> I told you I'm tired the crime of perjury and the punishment for perjury um, is never as severe as the punishment that the witness lies about in American law um, and that's a, that's a serious thing. Could you imagine if you falsely accuse somebody of murder? I mean, maliciously accuse somebody of murder. And if they're found, if, if it's found that you lied, you get put to death. That's going to kind of 
rein you in. And that's what it says here. It says, uh, thus you shall purge the evil from among you. You shall do to him just as he intended to do to his brother. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. Very important. This is, you know, the the fair and impartial exercise of justice deters crime. I say it again because it's something that many people in our society do not grasp. The fair and impartial exercise of judgment deters crime. And so he says, you know, and, and that's what verse 21 is talking about. Fair and impartial execution of judgment. Thus your eye shall not show pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. What they're saying is the punishment should fit the crime. It shouldn't be too severe, but at the same time it should not be too lenient. So, you know, in a lot of cases, and this is something that that judges don't like because they like to be able to pass whatever sentence they want, but a lot of times, the and and I think rightly so, the penalty for crime should be set by the by the law. So if you know, they they always say it's punishable by up to, and and I don't know that that, you know, giving the court, they always say, you know, they're, they're, they have the sentencing phase and everybody, oh, he's a, he was a good kid. He just went wrong and everything. So he doesn't get the punishment for his crime that he should have. Um, there is an error of leniency. There's also an error of being way too severe. I, I look at some of these January 6 cases where people are, you know, 10, 12 years in prison for walking through the Capitol building and essentially doing nothing. Um, you know, that's, that's also a violation of this. Um, most people, you know, tend to think, you know, eye for an eye, that's so harsh. It was establishing the fact that the punishment should fit the crime. Um, and so we need to keep that in mind. Um, it, you know, it, it, so punishment of crime serves as a deterrent. And the principle of legal justice, the it's encourages the appropriate punishment in each case. Don't be too lenient. Don't be too strict. Um, and so that's, you know, and that, and that was one of the things in, in Matthew five, Jesus is rebuking the Jewish religious leaders because they had taken that principle of eye for eye, um, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, out of the legal process. And we're using it 
to apply to personal vengeance. And that's never been the case. This is all in context of a legal process. So you go back to the Avenger of Blood. He is acting on a legal process. He's not acting alone. And then you get to the end of the chapter. The punishments are meted out by the judge. And so when it says, your eyes shall not show pity, he's talking about the judge's eye. You know, your eye as a society, which is the society is represented in this case by the judges of the case, going back up to verse 18, the judges and the high priests who are in office that day are the ones who are, are to inquire thoroughly. So there, there's a legal process here. It's not arbitrary. It's not capricious. It's a legal process. Excuse me. And so that's important. So the, the, the standard of proof is high. The innocent until proven guilty is definitely a biblical concept um, as far as the legal issues go. Now, we all know that we're all sinners. Everybody's guilty before the court of God. But this is talking about specific um, legal issues here on the earth. All right, let us now recite the words of our faith in uh, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now the collect for the first Sunday in Advent. Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now, in the time of this mortal life in which your Son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Collect for Grace O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, you have brought us safely to the beginning of this day. Defend us by your mighty power that we may not fall into sin nor run into any danger, and that guided by your Spirit we may do what is righteous in your sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The Collect for the Unrepentant Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home and number them among your children. 
that they may be yours forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for this Wednesday. I hope you have a great day. Pray for me that I get a little bit of rest before I go to your youth group tonight. Um, and I will pray that your day goes well as well. As you go through the day, remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. See you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.